My home on the internet's a website called Metafilter. It's not Reddit or BuzzFeed in terms of usage or page views or comments, but for a lot of people, Metafilter's the best possible version of the internet. It's got a number of components, but the most popular is called Ask Metafilter, which is sort of Yahoo Answers if it were in any way useful. My first question on Ask Metafilter way back in 2009 was, how do I get a job at NPR? Metafilter's other popular section is the front page, where users share the most interesting stuff they find on the web that day. And once you start reading Metafilter, you realize that every newspaper editor and radio producer is reading it too, because stories that begin there end up on the radio or in magazines a few weeks later. It's hard to overestimate the value of this site. You can ask Metafilter your most vulnerable questions without the fear of standard internet callousness. Questions like how to leave a cheating spouse or whether to cut off contact with a parent. And you can engage in smart and well-moderated conversations on everything from prison conditions in the U.S. to homemade peanut butter. Conversations that are archived, preserved in internet amber, a reflection of the time that they were written. The real-time discussion on September 11, 2001, and the dispatches from users affected by Hurricane Sandy remain incredibly gripping many years later. A couple weeks ago, Matt Howey, the founder of Metafilter, announced that the site was dying, and that it has been for over a year and a half. He's laying off staff and losing money hand over fist. And he says that he remembers the exact day that the site was dealt its terminal blow. November of 2012, I just woke up one day and was like, oh, that doesn't look right. That's like about half of normal. That's weird. And then I checked like two or three different services we used to check our traffic. And it was like, wow, they all say the same thing. That like, you know, about half the traffic from Google had come down overnight. And that's when <laughs> everything changed. If you run a website in 2014, you probably get almost all of your readers from two places, Facebook or Google. You're a store in a remote strip mall, and they're the highways that bring you the customers. But unlike real highways, they're constantly being rerouted. And that, apparently, is what happened to Matt in November of 2012. The Google superhighway that had been exiting traffic to his doorstep consistently for the last decade all of a sudden got rerouted somewhere else. Here's what it meant in practice. In the old days, pre-2012, when people searched a question like, how do I ask for a raise, or how do I install a garbage disposal? Metafilter would often be one of the first things they saw in their Google results. After 2012, Metafilter started showing up on the second or third page, and that meant traffic to the site dropped by 40%. And what was worse, there was no real way to figure out why. I asked people I knew, some people at Google, what might be going on, and they said, like, nobody's specific about anything, because they're like, the algorithm, the algorithm, <laughs> like it's a monolithic beast that even people at Google know nothing about. Like what the algorithm likes or dislikes is up to the algorithm. You hear a lot of stories like this one. Websites live and die by Google's judgment, and that judgment's often opaque. But usually when Google reroutes the highway away from you, it's because you're doing something that Google considers unfair, like trying to artificially boost your place in the rankings. Metafilter hasn't changed anything at all. In fact, since its birth in 1999... Metafilter stubbornly tried not to grow, or at least not too fast. For instance, here's Matt's historic strategy for capitalizing on press coverage. I would just turn off new user signups whenever we get press because it was a hassle. Like if a thousand people show up one day, they just wreak havoc. And at the time, five or ten people were signing up a day when it was free, and that was perfect. Unlike Facebook or Twitter or really any popular social website, Metafilter charges five bucks per sign-up. It's not to make money... They do it to create a hurdle just high enough that it keeps out the riffraff. It's worked out perfectly in keeping it at like five or ten people a day. And like it's the dumbest thing in the world in the lens of entrepreneurship. It's the worst idea imaginable, but it's perfect for <laughs> keeping, keeping things like human scale and manageable. 
Matt cares about making a website that's as good a home as it can possibly be for the people who use it. And he does this to the neglect of things like worrying about Google search rankings. The assumption being that good content will keep the site near the top of Google's results. So when Google hit him, and hit him hard, he really had no idea what was going on. It's fairly, I'd say, unusual that people who get really hit hard by Google didn't know something was going on. Danny Sullivan writes a blog called Search Engine Land that tries to decode Google's often invisible rules for how websites are ranked. I've looked at lots of cases where you have people like, I did nothing wrong. and There was absolutely no reason I should have gotten hit by this. You go in and it's like some third-party firm went out and bought a bunch of links for them or created a bunch of garbage content. It's unusual to find this poster child that you can point at and say, these people were really, really unfairly hit by Google. And that's why Metafilter is unique, because they actually have seemed like they are that kind of poster child. You're not going to have a bunch of people coming out and pointing fingers saying, well, they should have known better because of this, this, or this. It, it really did feel like you could look at them and say, yeah, this shouldn't have happened. Google can single out sites for penalties, or its algorithm can sweep up sites to penalize automatically. Matt didn't hear that he'd been singled out, so he tried to change any behavior that could be triggering an automatic penalty. He tried removing some ads. He tried changing the color of his ads. He put different ads up for adult content, but nothing worked. Months ticked on, and the site bled money. Matt says he tried just about everything, except SEO, search engine optimization, which he's adamantly against. I have the lowest opinion in the world of people who, who their job is to game search engines. Like, I hate it. I come from the academic internet, you know, where nobody would ever try to promote themselves. And these guys live and die for trying to force their junk to the top. Danny Sullivan thinks that Matt's attitude about this is a problem. That this is the internet equivalent of still thinking that people with cell phones are sellouts. That Matt thinks SEO is nefarious or underhanded, when in fact SEO is just what everyone has to do now. Not doing SEO means refusing to participate in the world as it is. It's refusing to put your business in the white pages or hang a sign out front. When Matt says, I didn't do any SEO, but I got rid of some of these ads, that is SEO. <laughs> and, and he probably was doing other things that are SEO. He just wasn't characterizing it that way. It's fundamental to running a website. And if you're not staying on top of what those best practices are, then you can have those kinds of problems. One of the things this makes me realize is that whether they want to be or not, Google becomes sort of a, they sort of have an editorial component to search results because they decide what leads the page. Even if it's algorithmically, they're still making this decision and it can have really, really profound effects. Uh, absolutely. And I do think that it is fair that anybody would ask, what kind of care is Google exercising to make sure that they're being responsible about that? in the same way that you would have those kinds of expectations of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. You want them to have that kind of care, especially when they're presenting themselves as sort of an editorial operation. But I think the difficulty also is that they're not writing 20 stories a day. They are writing millions of stories a day every time someone does a search. Still, what did change? Was it really Matt's stand against SEO that was killing his site? Or had Google changed something as well? I got in touch with Google, who would only speak to me on background. I was told that Google's indexed 60 trillion web addresses, and there's a constant jockeying to appear prominently in search results. Additionally, the company made 890 updates to its algorithm last year alone. Google seemed sympathetic to Metafilter's traffic problems, but talking to them reinforced my perception that they're sort of a monolith, a cipher. I was expressly asked not to refer to the individual that I spoke to, 
and I had to litigate just about everything that I put in this story. They didn't tell me anything that helped me understand what Matt's being punished for or how to fix it. Matt's trying to make peace with that idea, that for whatever reason, the little influential empire that he created might just not have a prominent place on the internet anymore. At one conference, I thought of like, maybe I should give the talk of like, where will Metafilter be in the year 2020? And I looked at other sites that I patterned Metafilter after, and they're all just kind of museum relics at this at this point. In the back of my mind, I could always, I mean, if everything failed, we could go back to the way it was in 99, which was like I had a full-time job. And I ran this thing under my desk on an old home computer. And, you know, there are a few hundred people using it. And it was pretty cool. And I'm okay with five or ten years if that's where it's at, where I'm off doing other things, but I'm still nursing it along, keeping it around. And the holdouts are still there, you know, occupying the space. As a human being, I'm glad to hear Matt say that he'll be fine if the site has to shrink. But as a Metafilter user, it worries the hell out of me. The site's good because of its size. There's always someone hanging around to answer a question or have a conversation with. I don't want it to be smaller. There has to be some median between irrevocably changing the function of the site and just drifting into search engine obscurity. But whatever that is, I can't really see it. And it seems like Matt can't see it either. TLDR was produced this week by PJ Vote and me, Alex Goldman. Our executive producer is Kat Rogers, and our engineer is Jen Munson. We had more help from TLDR's inaugural intern, Ethan Scheel, and Crisp Neary. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, who you should check out on SoundCloud. You should also go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. I tweet at A. Goldmund. PJ tweets at PJ Vote, but his tweets are mostly crap garbage. We both tweet at TLDR. You can find more TLDR at tldr.onthemedia.org, and we are TLDR. It's kind of like Reddit if there wasn't so much chaff on Reddit. Chaff? Yeah. Separating wheat from chaff. Oh, I was thinking about chaff, the stuff. Oh, I don't Do know I even want to know what you were thinking about? In, there was a Star Wars video game in the 90s where when someone shot a photon missile at you, or a proton missile at you, you could use chaff, which was this like sparkly stuff that came out of your X-Wing and made the missile not hey this is definitely going in the episode sorry oh, to boy. sorry to break it to you buddy uh, you love keeping in all my embarrassing moments director's cut <laughs> on notes from america we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be each week we talk about race our politics education relationships usually all of them because everything's connected and you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.